Well, this, this morning, let me remind you, as we're studying these seven churches, what we're going to see in each of these churches is, is kind of a five-fold presentation from Jesus Christ. Number one, we're going to learn about each church and, and the name of that church and what it means. And, and the name Ephesus literally means fully purposed. And then in each of these churches, we're going to see a specific representation of Christ. As Christ writes to each of these seven churches historically through the Apostle John, he reveals something about his character and nature that they need to latch hold of. They need to learn from to overcome the situation that they're in. And we also see that Christ gives each of these churches, almost each of these churches, a commendation. In other words, he, he actually says, here's what you're doing right. The Lord knows their works, and he commends them on what they're doing right. And then there's some correction. You're doing great on this area, but here's some area that needs attention, right? And, and we'll talk about what it was with Ephesus that needed attention. And then at the end of each of these seven churches, there's always a challenge to overcome. And, and so we've talked about the last couple of weeks that these seven churches were literal historical churches that, that absolutely existed in the first century when John would have been tasked to write to these churches from the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And yet, those seven churches also represent for us, as we'll see in just a, a few minutes, they represent the entirety of church history. As we study the, the Bible and we study Revelation chapter 2 and 3, we get a snapshot of all of church history through these seven churches. And I would say it like this, of every church that's ever existed, it, it falls into one of these seven churches category. Does that make sense? And I would also say that as we study these seven churches, that you're going to see a snapshot of the entire time of church history from, from the cross and, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ all the way to the rapture of the church. You see a, a, an overview or a, a snapshot of all of church history culminating with the seventh church, the church of Laodicea. And so there's a great uh, prophetic picture that we're seeing. Uh, there's also a doctrinal application because I believe that there are some tribulation aspects to some of these things that we'll study. Again, we, we don't believe the church goes through the tribulation, but we do believe as we study these things, God calls this, these churches churches, and, and God called the nation of Israel in the Old Testament a church. He called it a church in the wilderness, and they weren't saved, they weren't born again, they weren't spirit-sealed. There was no new birth in the Old Testament, and yet God called that assembly a church in the wilderness in the book of Acts. And I think there's a doctrinal application of these seven churches that also apply to the tribulation period, but, but since you're not going to go through it, uh, you need not worry about that. And so this church of Ephesus literally means a fully purposed church. It was the largest city in Asia Minor. We know from the book of Acts, Acts 18 through Acts 20, that Paul was able to take the gospel to Ephesus. And this city was so wicked, man. It had, it had pagan worship of the, the, the goddess Diana. And, and this was the goddess of, of fertility. And, and there were, the city was just full of immorality. Uh, there were temples, uh, a temple dedicated to this false uh, pagan god. It was a tourist attraction. People made their money by selling shrines of this goddess Diana. And the gospel got in and ruined the economy. I mean, it had a, a, a devastating effect on the economy, but it actually had a, a, a fantastic effect on the souls of men. It, it's better to lose your job than to lose your soul. You know what I'm saying? You don't want to gain the whole world and lose your soul, according to the words of Jesus Christ. And that's what was happening in Ephesus. 
And, and so this was a disciple-making church. It was a Bible-preaching and teaching church. And, and Christ reveals that, that he walked and talked to his church at Ephesus. And, and we learn from that, that Christ talks to his church and, and walks in the midst of his churches. And, and we do experience his presence. And, and as he com- commends this church at Ephesus, he says, man, you're a productive church. I know your work. They're a persevering church. I know your labor, and, and that labor means toil or trouble that they were experiencing because ministry's tough, right? If it was easy, everybody would do it. But ministry's tough. And, 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 and this city, especially when the gospel was being promoted, there was opposition and persecution. And yet Christ says, listen, I, I, I know that you're persevering in the midst of difficulty. They were a patient church, and, and they were even a perturbed church. Because they couldn't bear those that were evil. They had some hard stances that were right stances and biblical stances. And there was just some things that they couldn't bear as a church. There was just some lines that they drew and said, you know, we can't tolerate those things because they're against the word of God. Ephesus was even a proving church because the Bible says they tried those that say that they were apostles and are not and found them liars. And, and we spent a whole Sunday on this saying that the gift of the apostle was certainly real as a gift to the church. It's part of the foundation of the church. But man, there is no apostolic secession. As we study the book of Acts, it's very, very clear. And yet, in the church of Ephesus, and even in early church history, you have people that are claiming to be apostles. And they're not. And Christ himself says of those people, they're liars. And he commends this church for trying those people based on the authority of Scripture and saying, you know what, what you're saying is not really true according to the Bible. And so Christ commended this church for that, and that's not a very popular thing. But, but they were intolerant. They were, they were proving what they were seeing and experiencing against the authority of Scripture. And that's, what, that's the kind of church we need to be. Uh, they were a powerful church, and they were a predisposed church because the name of Christ was their motivation and strength. And so listen, they had a lot of good things going for them. And yet, Christ gave them some correction, and the correction was, hey, listen, I have somewhat against you because you've left your first love. And we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. As much as this church had going right for it, the truth is they tried to replace their relationship with Christ with ministry and with doing the right things. And I think every Christian probably struggles with that at some point, and every church struggles with that. The Lord wants us to learn that ministry for Christ is no replacement for a relationship with Christ. And, and the, the Lord kind of called them out and said, you're the ones that left. And, and we talked about that two weeks ago, and I don't want to re-preach it, but I, but I would just have you consider the Lord has promised that when we get saved, he's always with us, according to Matthew 28. He says, I'll never leave you. I'm always with you, even to the ends of the world. Hebrews 13, verse 5, Christ says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And if we as a church and as we as Christians never, if we get to a point where we don't feel the presence of the Lord in our life like we used to, like if we can look back and say, man, I was a lot closer to the Lord. His presence was more real. My prayers got answered. I was just in a deeper relationship at some point other than what I am right now. Let me lovingly remind us, he didn't leave. We did. Just like Ephesus, the Lord would say to us, thou has left. And so if you've left, all you have to do is repent and come back. 
And that was his correction, right? His challenge to them was, in verse 5, Remember from whence thou art fallen, repent, and re-engage. Do the first works. And, and we talked about how, man, listen, do the things that, that established your relationship with Christ. Get back in the Word of God. Get back in a right prayer life. Get right back in fellowship with Him. And that'll draw you nigh back to the Lord. And He'll draw nigh to you. And that was the challenge. And so, and so we, that's all review. Because we covered that a couple of weeks ago. Now, let me remind you that these seven churches represent the entirety of church history. And so if you were to take this church of Ephesus, for church history, it really represents from 90 to 200 AD. Literally from, from the death of the apostles through 200 AD. And what was happening historically is something very, very important that we need to understand. And, and get this key in your notes. As we talk about the Ephesus church period, in other words, the, the period in history that this church also reflects and represents, it takes us from the death of the apostles to the time that's commonly called the Apostolic Church Fathers. In other words, if you read any uh, commentary or history, there's a group of people that came on the scene after the apostles of Jesus Christ, and they're called the Apostolic Church Fathers. And, and get this next key in your notes. It's through the Apostolic Church Fathers and those in the Ephesus church period who followed their leadership that we begin to see deviations from the Word of God. In other words, those people that came after the apostles, and some of them were even discipled by the apostles of Jesus Christ, they began to write and to use words and phrases and concepts that you can't find biblically. And listen, these were good men. And they were, they were righteous men. And they were holy men. And, and many of them probably were saved. Some, when you read their writings, I'm not sure if they were saved. Because their definition of salvation doesn't match a biblical definition of salvation. But what happens in, in history, they began to leave the word of God in their writings and because of that, the seeds of false doctrine began to be planted in the early church. And many of these men died a martyr's death. And, and let me just say this, man, respectfully. That complicates the matter because just like dead pastors do no wrong, and, and it'll take you a second to figure out what I just said, neither do dead martyrs. In other words, when somebody lays their life down for the cause of Christ, it's really hard to criticize their belief. Does that make sense? Because they gave their life. However, man, Ephesus had a, a commendation of the Lord to prove people according to a biblical standard. And as we see this period of church history unfold, and, and that's not the point of our study this morning, but I would have you understand that early in church history, after the death of the apostles, many men began to write and, and write material and concepts and sermons and commentaries and writings about the Bible, and yet an unbiased study of their writings would reveal that they didn't necessarily believe the same things that the apostles of Jesus Christ believed. And they began to mix tradition in the Bible, and as a result of that, the early church began to experience conflicting authorities. In other words, I know what the Bible says, but I also know what this guy wrote. Here's what he believed. And, and let me just tell you that modern Christians many times set aside doctrine for unity 
And that's really a false premise because without doctrine, you can't have unity. You can't have unity without doctrine. And, and, and here's the point. The point is there's one authority, and it has to be the Word of God. And, 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 and man, good people throughout history have walked with God, have tried to, to understand the Bible and write things about the Bible. But, but listen, Romans is still true. Let, let God be true and every man a liar. No matter how morally right they are, even to the point of giving their life for the cause of Christ. And I respect that. I sincerely respect that. But at the same time, there, there has to be one authority. And as we enter into modern Christianity now, the seeds of false doctrine of tradition and men's writings blended with biblical authority ultimately become a problem. Because even today, people would say, well, I believe in the Bible, but I also believe in tradition. And tradition mixed with the Bible results in false doctrine, hands down. And so you just need to understand that in this Ephesus church period in, in church history, there's seeds of false doctrine that, that begin to get sprinkled in. And as we go through these seven churches, you're going to see the effect that it's had, not only in, in the first century, but in the 21st century, as the seeds of that have continued on. This morning, we're going to just look at verse 7, if you will. And, and I would have you draw your attention back to Revelation 2, verse 7. Here's how the Lord closes his commentary on the book of Ephesus, or the church of Ephesus. He says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Now listen, what did the church of Ephesus have to overcome? Well, they left their first love, so they had to overcome that. They had to overcome false apostles. They had to overcome the deeds of the Nicolaitans. In other words, the, the people that established a, a priest class and a laity class, this, this unbiblical hierarchy of priest and laity where you can't understand the Bible, we'll tell you what the Bible means. Th those deeds of the Nicolaitans began to take root in the early church. That was a problem that they had to overcome. By the way, the deeds of the Nicolaitans became a doctrine by Revelation chapter 2 and verse 15. So how, what did this church need to overcome the challenges that they faced? Well, there's three things that we'll learn this morning, and I think we can take a devotional application for our life. Number one, they needed a hearing ear to overcome. They needed a hearing ear. You say, well, that sounds weird, Jay. That, that's kind of the point of an ear, to hear. Well, it is, but the Lord very clearly says, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith to the churches. And just for your record, that statement is found in every one of these seven churches in Revelation chapter 2 to 3. When, when Jesus Christ addresses the churches, at the end of it, he says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the church. And so here, get these keys in your note. Number one, we need to realize that the Spirit speaks. It's the Spirit of God that speaks, and he speaks through the Word of God. Jesus Christ promised this in John 14. He says, The Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom... The Father will send in my name. He shall teach you how many things? All things. In John 16 and verse 13, the Spirit of God is called the Spirit of truth. When he's come, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak of himself, but whatsoever, whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. And so, and so aren't you thankful that, that God takes care of speaking to his church through the Spirit of God? That means that ain't dependent on a flesh and blood man, no matter how ignorant he is, no matter how, you know, 
redneck he grew up in south you don't have to worry god can still speak to you through his spirit and through his word anything i've ever learned from the bible and from a man of god is because of the spirit of god and i'm thankful for that number two get this key in your notes the spirit not only speaks but he speaks specifically to his churches he speaks to his churches and listen, 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 13 says, Paul writing to the Corinthians, he says, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And I don't know if you caught what Paul just said there. Paul said, okay, we're preaching and teaching. But as we're doing that, we're comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. We're comparing scripture with scripture. And as we do that, well, actually, it's not us teaching. Who is it that's teaching? It's the Spirit of God that's teaching. And, and so get this concept. Listen, when men speak by comparing Scripture with Scripture, then the Holy Ghost teaches His church. The Holy, the Holy Ghost teaches Christ's church. And I would say if there's no comparing Scripture with Scripture, the Holy Ghost is probably not teaching. There, there's no teaching if you don't have a biblical hermeneutic a sermon with no Bible is like a balloon with no air. It's useless. And listen, man, that's why you get a study sheet full of references. Because, because the way to understand the Bible and the way God reveals his word is by comparing Scripture with Scripture. And, and the best place for you to be is where the Word of God is opened and read and taught rightly divided. In other words, the Spirit speaks to the churches, which is the best place you could be on a Sunday morning. And I know this morning is, is, you know, it's hard to preach against not being at church when it snows. Okay, I get that. But listen, when it's sunny in 70, the best place to be on a Sunday morning is in the place where God speaks to his, his people. It's in his church. Because the church is the vehicle through which New, Minist New Testament ministry is accomplished. But listen, just because the Spirit is speaking, it doesn't mean we have ears to hear. Now, if you're married, you know this. Okay, nobody's going to give me an amen, man. I, get, I, I, lo I lobbed you one up. Even the wives, I mean, that was like a softball. I know, man. I, well, me too. I, and I was waiting for one from this side of the room, and thank God she didn't, she didn't say it. Matthew 11 and verse 15 says, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And, and so what we need to understand is just because the Spirit of God is speaking, we need to have spiritual ears to hear God's word we got to have spiritual ears because these are spiritual words. And, and you know, the, the story in Matthew, listen, Christ taught openly and freely, and people rejected his teaching through about Matthew chapter 12. And then you get to Matthew 13, and Christ begins to speak in parables. And you say, well, why did he, spe why did he start speaking in parables? Well, that's, a, that's, a, uh, that's a heavenly illustration with an er earthly application or whatever, some kind of lame excuse like that. Okay, that's not what a parable is. Actually, Christ tells us in Matthew 13, 13, I'm speaking to them in parables because they seeing, see not. And hearing, they hear not, neither do they understand. I'm actually hiding wisdom from them because they've already rejected truth. That's why the parables are in your Bible. The parables are in there because Christ was hiding truth from those that already had rejected truth. So just because you hear doesn't mean that you hear. Many times as Christians, we have what's called selective hearing, right? We only hear what's important to us, what we think is important to us. 
And the issue with spiritual hearing has more to do with our heart than anything else. And I'll say it like this, and I think I put it in your notes. I did, I did put it in your notes. To hear the Word of God, I must have a heart that's tender to the Word of God. In other words, if my heart is hard, I'm not going to hear with my ears the spiritual truths that God intends for my life. Now listen, Matthew 13 and verse 15, I want to prove it to you. Christ says of these people that, that he was speaking to in parables, he said, this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes have closed, lest at any time they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and should understand with their heart, and should be converted, and I should heal them. And so Christ says, listen, it begins with our heart. And if our heart is not right, our ears won't be right. And if our heart and ears won't be right, then our eyes won't be right. And we won't not only hear the word of God, we won't see the spiritual things that God intends for us to see. And so to overcome, Ephesus had to have ears to hear. And to overcome our challenges as a New Testament church, we got to have ears to hear. And what we have to hear is specifically what God has for our church. Because there are some things that God wants to give us to overcome our situations and our challenges and our difficulties. But we've got to have ears to hear it. Which means we have to have a heart that's tender toward the Word of God. And so listen, I love you, but when you come to church, it's more about your heart than anything else. Man, what is it that God wants me to give God, God wants to give me today. I want to walk in with an open heart, willing to receive whatever God has for me every Sunday, every Wednesday. Have an open heart to hear. You say, well, your heart doesn't hear. Well, listen, the heart is the gateway to your ears. And if your heart's hard, the ears aren't going to get it. We got to have a tender heart toward the Word of God. And that's what Ephesus had to have. And number two, they had to have faith to overcome. So, so they needed to hear the instruction that God had given them, but then they had to have faith to overcome because Christ says to them, to him that overcometh. Now that word overcome literally means to conquer or to be victorious. And, and in each of these seven churches, Christ has a promise to those that overcome their situation, their challenges that they're facing. And let me just encourage you this morning, you can live victorious in Christ. God has intended for you to be an overcomer. But just because you've heard God's word, it doesn't necessarily automatically mean that you've overcome. you got to have ears to hear, but then you got to have a faith to apply those things to your life. And, and re do you remember what, what Christ said to this church at Ephesus? Remember he said, you guys need to remember what it was like when you were right with me. You need to repent. You need to re-engage. Okay, well they can hear that. But if they didn't exercise faith toward what God had spoken to them, they would have never overcome their circumstances. And so in my life and in your life, here's how it shakes out. If I have hearing without remembrance, it won't make me an overcomer. If I have hearing without repentance, it won't make me an overcomer. If I have hearing without re-engaging in the first works, well, it won't make me an overcomer. If I have hearing without responding to God's word, in, in Ephesus' case, God said, I'll remove your church. I'll take away your candlestick. And, and so listen, again, uh, we, we learn devotionally from this church that they had the opportunity to live victoriously in Christ. There is a doctrinal application. Actually, when you see that word overcomer, and especially in this context, man, they, they get to partake of the tree of life. And we're going to talk about that in just a second, that tree of life thing. It's very interesting. 
but I believe there's a tribulation application to this because there's going to be people that overcome the spirit of the age in the tribulation. That tree of life shows up in Revelation 22. We'll talk about it. I think literally they get to partake of that based on their works. But let's talk about the devotional application because that's where we live. And that's who you are. Because in Christ, you need to understand, and I need to understand, that if you're saved this morning, God says that you are already an overcomer. You're already an overcomer. In other words, you're already victorious in the person of Jesus Christ. That is your position in Christ. And let me, let me prove it to you biblically. John 16 and verse 33, Christ says, These things have I spoken to you that you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And because Christ has overcome the world, and I'm in Christ, I am an overcomer because of him. Not because of my strength or my ability, but because of his strength and his ability. 1 John 4 4 and verse 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. 1 John 5, 5, who is he that overcometh the world, but he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God? Anybody in this room believe that? You believe Jesus is the Son of God? Listen, if you believe that, God says that you have already overcome the world. That is your position in Jesus Christ. So there's nothing that this world throws at you that can defeat you. Okay, that's your position. And the worst that this world can do to you is to take your life, but your life is hid in Christ. So they can't even really get to your life because it's hid in the person of Jesus Christ. And by the way, he's never dying again. So you're eternally secure in Christ. But listen, if you're saved today, you're already an overcomer. But, but the second point is this. If you're saved today, God's intention is that you and I live as overcomers practically. And, and, and this is the paradox of the Christian life because many times our practice doesn't match our position. Amen? I know who I am in Christ, but I'll be honest, Monday's coming and it's, the world's kicking my teeth in. And, and, and so what it means for us is that we have to take our positional understanding of who we are in Christ, and it has to have a practical working out by faith in our life. And, and let me just give you some verses I think that would encourage you. We can live victorious in the person of Jesus Christ. Romans 12 and verse 21 says that we are not called to be overcome of evil. Now, I don't know about you. If you watch the news, man, this world is just getting more and more evil. Hello? It is getting very difficult. It's like, man, are you kidding? How much worse can it get? Well, it's going to get a lot worse, according to the Word of God. But you don't have to be overcome of evil, but you can overcome evil with good. I can overcome evil in my life. We as a church can overcome evil, and the way we do it is with good because we are in the person of Jesus Christ. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 13, as John writes, he says, I write unto you fathers because you've known him that's from the beginning. I write unto you young men, listen, because ye have overcome the wicked one. And that's a strong statement. Spiritual young men have overcome the devil, the wicked one, because spiritual young men are mature in the word of God. Actually, if you go back to, to, to 1 John 2 and verse 14, the very next verse, as John writes, he says, I, I've written unto you young men because ye are strong and the word of God abideth in you and you've overcome the wicked one. So you can overcome evil. You can also overcome the devil in your life. 
I'm not, I'm not saying you start rebuking the devil like some of these crazy charismatics do, no offense. I mean, if Michael the archangel didn't rebuke Satan, I don't think I have any business rebuking him. Do you understand that? But I can be an overcomer. I can overcome the wicked one. I can overcome false doctrine and the devil because he operates in the realm of false doctrine. I can overcome him through the word of God. I can, I can know the word of God, and I know what the word of God says about my salvation and eternal security and the mission that I'm to be a part of and the assurance of these promises, and I can have victory over the devil that sows seeds of doubt into my belief system. Um, that's a key thing for us as Christians. You don't have to live in a wavering faith. You don't have to live tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. You can be an overcomer. And God has positioned you to be such. 1 John 5 and verse 4 says, Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. And this is the victory that over the, overcometh the world. Listen, even our, our faith. And God's telling us, man, in this passage, I can even overcome this world system through faith. Because it's faith in God's word that should match the reality in what he said. And when I apply that truth to my life through faith, I'm living a victorious Christian life. And the opposite of that is also true. Man, if I just don't believe God at his word, it doesn't mean I'm not saved and it doesn't mean I'm not secure in Christ, but I'm going to live a pretty defeated Christian life. And the church at Ephesus, man, God, God intended for them to overcome their circumstances. When I have ears to hear what the Spirit says to me, I can respond in faith. And that is what makes me victorious over, over evil and over my adversary and over this world system. Because I just trust God's word. And we need to hear that, church. We just need to trust God at his word. And, and listen, we, sometimes we trust Fox News and Fauci and, and the, the, the Senate. And we trust, well, nobody trusts the president. But let's just, okay, we trust all these things. That's like the one political statement I've ever made from this pulpit, okay? <laughs> and if you do anything bad with it, you're in trouble. <laughs> we don't have to trust any of that. I'm going to let God be true in every man alive. Even the stuff I pipe in on my television. Even the podcast I listen to or the news report. Man, listen, let God be true. That church needed to have faith in the words of Christ so that they could be overcomers, okay? And, and then number three, and we're done. The cool thing is that when they do that, God promised them food for healing. God promised them food for healing. And he says, I'm going to give you to eat of the tree of life, which is in the, in the midst of the paradise of God. And so to the overcomer, Christ is going get, to give the opportunity to eat of the tree of life. Now, this is where it gets kind of interesting when we study the book of Revelation because there's multiple applications of this. There's a historical, there's a doctrinal, there's a devotional application. Let me just say this. Number one. For the Christian, the tree of life is the one that Jesus Christ died on for our sin. As a matter of fact, in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24, the Bible says this about Christ, who his own self bear our sins and his own body on the, on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you healed. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you, listen, Jesus Christ bled out and died for my sin and for your sin. And that tree of death and that tree of condemnation and that tree of judgment 
where Christ experienced my judgment for sin, for me, that became a tree of life. Galatians 3 and verse 13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. And so, and so just listen, man, I know historically and doctrinally the tree of life is something different, but I'm telling you practically, the tree of life for every one of us as a believer in Christ is the cross of Calvary. And for the unsaved, the tree of life is not some tree in a garden or in the midst of a street that you can go eat the fruit of and have eternal life. No, you have to come to the person of Jesus Christ and the cross of Calvary for your salvation. And so I just want to make that point. But, but as we study the Bible, there is a literal tree of life, and we see it in the Word of God. It's, a, it's actually only found in three books of your Bible. It's found in the book of Genesis. It's found in the book of Revelation. It's found in the book of Proverbs. So it's found in the beginning of the Bible, the end of the Bible, and actually right in the middle of the Bible, which is very interesting to me. And so let's track the, the tree of life through the Bible. It, and, and I'm not even sure what time it is. Can, I, can somebody tell me what time it is? Because I can't even see the... 12.03. Oh, we got another three hours. Praise the Lord. Okay, so Genesis chapter 2, we're going to track very quickly the, the tree of life through the Bible, and this is an interesting study. You know, if you've read the account in Genesis, that, that in the beginning, God made man. God put him in a garden. God planted this garden in Eden. He put the man in this garden. Genesis 2 and verse 9, out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that's pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And so in the beginning, in the midst of the Garden of Eden, there was this tree of life. And listen, Adam and Eve, Eve had the opportunity to partake of the fruit of the tree of life because there was only one tree in that garden that was forbidden. You guys remember what it was? It was a tree of what? Tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Look at Genesis 2 and verse 16. The Lord God commanded man, saying, of every tree, and every means every, of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it, for in the day thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely what? And you know the story. Listen, Eve was deceived. She took of the fruit. She ate. She gave it to her husband with her. He, he partook of it. They both sinned. They both died spiritually. They didn't die physically to many years later. And so listen, they had the opportunity in that garden to partake of the tree of life. But instead, they chose the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now listen to what I'm about to say. The same thing that happened in the Garden of Eden happens in this city and in this world every single day. Men would rather eat of the fruit of a tree of knowledge than get the fruit of a tree of life. They would rather know some things then have the one thing that really matters, life. You hear me? I mean, listen, and we live in a city full of educated people. And they're consuming their life away, trying to gain more knowledge. Knowledge about all kinds of things. And maybe even knowledge about God. But what they're missing is life. Because they never come to the place that they realize that life is in the person of Jesus Christ. And so in, in Genesis, there's this literal tree that was available for Adam and Eve to partake of and yet they sinned and rebelled against God. And then you don't see this tree show up again until the book of Revelation. And where it shows up in Revelation is very interesting. It shows up in Revelation 22. And for you scholars, that's toward the end of the book of Revelation. 
And you don't see it show up again in the Bible until Revelation 22. Let me tell you what has already happened by Revelation 22. You ready? The, New T- the Old Testament has, has run its course. The New Testament church age has run its course. The tribulation has run its course. The second coming of Jesus Christ has already happened. The millennial 1,000-year reign of Christ on this earth has already happened. The great white throne judgment has already taken place. And there's a new heaven and a new earth. And then this tree of life shows up again. Revelation 22, verses 1 and 2. John writes and he says, He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. And in the midst of the street of it, that's interesting. In Genesis 2, that that tree was in the midst of the garden. And now it's in the midst of a street. And on either side of the river, there was the tree of life, which bare 12 manner of fruits, yielding her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of what? The nations. And, and, and again, we're just comparing Scripture with Scripture, but it is very interesting to me that by Revelation 22, that tree shows up again, and now it's in the midst of a street. And there are going to be flesh and blood people on this earth during eternity. You may not agree with that. You'd be wrong if you don't. And their healing and their life will come through eating the fruit of this tree. It's for the healing of the nations. That's not you as the church. You get a glorified body that will never need healing. But there's a group of people that are given the privilege to eat of this fruit. Revelation 22 and verse 14. Blessed are they that do his commandments that they may have right to the tree of life and enter in through the gates to the city. And and so this tree of life is given to reverse the curse of the uh, Adamic race. And again, we're talking about something that's after the church age. And we're getting into some crazy doctrinal stuff, but that is an interesting study. It shows up in Genesis. It doesn't show up again until Revelation. Well, what does that help you for? I mean, no offense. I mean, all of you this morning have your clothes on, so I know we're not in the garden. And, you know, I know that the second coming hasn't happened yet, and I know we haven't been through the trib yet, and, and the millennial reign hasn't happened yet. And so uh, I also know that when I drove to church this morning, there wasn't a tree of life that somehow was in the center of Logan Drive. So what does this have to do with me devotionally, practically? Well, God tells the church of Ephesus that that tree's in the midst of paradise. That's very interesting. Anybody ever studied paradise in the Bible? Now, I know you think it's Jamaica laying on a chair on the beach, enjoying the waves and the sunshine and the, the blue water, and, that, and that, that's pretty close to paradise. Anybody been to Jamaica? Yeah, my wife is like, let's go right now. Okay. That's close. Paradise in the Bible, actually, before the cross, was in the heart of the earth. As a matter of fact, when Jesus was on the cross, he looked over to one of those thieves and said, Today you're going to be with me where? In paradise. Matthew chapter 12, verse 40 tells us that Christ said he's going to be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights before his resurrection. So paradise, before the cross, was in the heart of the earth. It was also called Abraham's bosom in Luke chapter 16. But after the resurrection of Christ... Paradise moved from the heart of the earth to the third heaven. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, when Paul writes and he says, listen, there's this guy that I knew, and he's speaking of himself 14 years ago, whether in the body or I I cannot tell, whether out of the body, God knoweth, such a one God called up to the third heaven, 
And I knew a man, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into where? Paradise. And, and so as you study the Bible, paradise is now, today, in the third heaven. And God, for whatever reason, told that church that there's a tree of life located in paradise. He told a church that. So how, how do I get to that fruit? How do I partake of that fruit today as a Christian? How, how do I do that? And what does that mean for me? Well, I told you that there were three books of the Bible that the, the tree of life is mentioned. The other book is the book of Proverbs. And, and, and Proverbs is for us the book of wisdom. It's the center of your Bible. It's the, it's the kind of the center keystone book. Every time you and I hear the Word of God and exercise faith in what God says, God gives us supernatural healing through the wisdom that we gain from God's Word. As a matter of fact, as we go through the book of Proverbs, we're going to see that there are several things available to give us healing in our life, practically, devotionally today. It doesn't mean you have to go backwards to the garden, and it doesn't mean you have to go forward in time like John did to the new heaven and new earth, because you and I need healing today. And so how do we get it? Well, we get it through the Word of God. And so let me show you in, in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 13, the Bible says, Happy is the man that findeth wisdom, and, and the man that getteth understanding. And so the context is wisdom and understanding. And, and down in verse 18, God's Word calls wisdom and understanding, She is a tree of what? Life to them that lay hold upon her. On, on what? On wisdom and understanding, and happy is everyone that retaineth her. Now, God's words are very accurate. It doesn't say that wisdom is the tree of life, but it does say it is a tree of life. And what Proverbs is teaching us is, if you want to find happiness and wisdom and understanding, you need to go to the Word of God. And, and listen, God, through his word, will give you healing, number one, for your emotions. Because all of a sudden, you'll have some things to rejoice about. Notice that it doesn't say that if you find knowledge, you'll be happy. That's not what it said. It said wisdom and understanding. And listen, just because you have knowledge doesn't mean you have wisdom and understanding. Knowledge, many times, doesn't profit you without proper application. People all the time, man, let me just say some things. Do I have time? Are you guys okay? I mean, you got nowhere to go. It's snowing. <clears throat> I mean, listen, if you're not actively looking to find God's wisdom from his word, you've probably already started 2022 pretty depressed. There's a reason you're not happy. And it's not because you don't have the stuff that you want. And it's not because your spouse is not meeting your expectation. And it's not because your children aren't doing what they're supposed to do. Because true happiness is a man that finds wisdom and understanding from the Word of God. And that wisdom and understanding becomes a tree of life in that person's life. It brings healing. It brings life into your life. And so listen, let me ask you the question. What is your plan to get into the Word of God in 2022? I mean, listen, have you established a plan to get into God's Word? And if not, why not? I guess you don't, I, I guess you don't want to be happy. I mean, I, there's no other reason I can understand. You're going to live life depressed, and, and listen, you're going to seek 
emotional stability and strength in every other thing except the very thing that God gave you, which is his word. Wisdom and understanding is a tree of life. Number one counseling principle for anybody, whatever situation is going on in your life, first question is, how's your relationship with the word of God? Well, I don't have one, but let me tell you all the things that are wrong with my life. There's a lot of things wrong with your life, but there's one thing that needs attention first. Your relationship with the Word of God. Because it brings healing to your emotions. Happy is the man that findeth wisdom. Which means if you don't find it, you're probably a pretty depressed, unhappy dude. You hear me? Listen, we, we have to understand it. And we have to quit seeking happiness in other things. God's given us His Word as wisdom and understanding that can be a tree of life in my life. Number two... God's word will bring healing in our ministry. Look at Proverbs 11 and verse 30. It says, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. And and so the fruit of a Christian life is love. Love produces other Christians, giving the gift of life. I mean, we heard last week from missionary Eric Brown going to, to Northern Ireland. God uses relationships to connect saved people to lost people so that we can share the gospel. So let me ask you a question. What's your plan to build relationships with lost people this year? What's your plan to build relationships with lost people this month? What's your plan to build relationships with lost people this week? I'm going to say some things that will be hard to swallow, but that's okay. You see, the truth is that some, some of us have problems in our ministry areas because we don't have any new life to focus on. So we start complaining about each other. We start complaining about other ministries. We start complaining about everybody in the church. We start complaining about our pastor. But the truth is, if we would get busy being a witness for the Lord, the truth is you would get all the healing you need in your ministry. Because all of a sudden, the focus will not be on your needs, but the needs of others. Because he that winneth souls is wise. And and if you're not a part of that, well, then the opposite of being wise is being a fool. There's a lot of foolish Christians in churches that need healing, and the way they're going to get their healing is to get busy sharing the gospel. Are we okay? God, God gives us healing through his word, through the ministry of evangelism. Number three, God gives us healing for our future. Proverbs 13, verse 12, the Bible says, Hope deferred maketh the heart sick, but when desire cometh, It's a tree of life. Hope deferred. You know, there's something that every Christian should be looking forward to. It's the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ. I mean, I hope he comes today, quite honestly, so I don't have to drive through in the water. In the rain. I know it's snowing in other areas. I'm telling you, every Christian should be looking for the coming of Jesus Christ. God says it's going to be glorious, and that is our hope, and and it's not an un- unbased hope. It's not a baseless hope. Every Christian ought to be biblically homesick because this world is not my home. And hope deferred makes the heart sick, man. But when the Lord comes, it's a tree of life. You You see, God gives us healing for our future because the Word of God gives me assurance, not only of my future, but Christ's imminent return. I have a sure hope. And so I don't have to worry about death. I don't have to worry about COVID. I don't have to worry about elections. I don't have to worry about inflation, China, or Russia. Or or midterm elections, 
or presidential elections, for that matter. I don't have to worry about any of it. Why? Because I have a hope that's deferred, but listen, it's coming, and it's a tree of life. And that gives me healing, because this junk on this planet doesn't matter. My hope is secure. Number, number four is this. God gives us healing in our relationships. The Bible says in Proverbs 15 and verse 4 that a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. But perverseness therein is a breach in the spirit. You know, you compare that passage to James, James chapter 3, and God tells us in James that that tongue, man, it's a fire. It's a world of iniquity. That, That tongue defiles our body. It's set on fire, of course, of the nature. It's set on fire of hell. Man, with, with that tongue, we bless God and we curse men, right? And, and God is telling us that a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. Why? Because there's, there's life and death in the power of that tongue. And a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. It can bring life into relationships, but it can also destroy relationships. You know, that great prophet of old, Keith Whitley, said it right. Sometimes we say it best when we say nothing at all, right? Some of you knew who I was talking about right there. <laughs> a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. How do you use your words? Do they bring life or death in your relationships? It can be a tree of life. And that ought to be our, our, our goal as a church. It ought to be our goal as relationships and, and spouses and children. And, and, and as we go out into the lost world, man, our, our tongue or to carry out the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel, it's a tree of life to those that haven't heard. So listen, just like the church at Ephesus, we have some challenges to ministry, but God promises us victory. The key questions are, do we have ears to hear that? Do we have a heart that really believes God's word? I didn't ask you if you knew God's word. I said, do you believe it? Because I've known a lot of people that can rattle off a lot of verses. And they may have a right position about the Bible and a right position about dispensations and a right position about this and that and the other, but it has no effect on their life. Do you really believe God's word? Do you partake of the words of life? Do the words of of God become a tree of life to you? Are you an overcomer or are you living defeated? God, God wants to grant you victory today, and he can and he will if you have ears to hear. Let me pray for us. I know we're out of time. Let me pray for us and we'll dismiss. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your goodness today. We thank you for your word, your grace, your mercy in our life. Thank you for this church of Ephesus that, that had challenges, doing a lot of great things. Lord, we can learn from the things they were doing right. We have to examine our life and also consider, do we have ears to hear those things for us? I pray for us as a church, Lord, that, that we would be overcomers. That means each of us individually having a right relationship with you or that the tree of life, that the words that we receive from your word, God, are, are, are healing in our life. God, we may have emotions that need to be healed today. We may have ministry that needs to be healed. We may have relationships that need to be healed. Lord, can we understand that you offer that through your word? If we'll just believe it and align our life to it, God, we'll give you the glory. You'll, you'll do a miraculous work in our life, and we'll trust you for that.